This is Mulling It Over, Bob Hodling's weekly podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Plain. Hi, and I'm Bob Hodling. And hi, Bob. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm excellent. So you brought a couple guests down this week. Yep, I have uh, two friends here that I met maybe about a year ago, um, Rebecca McGoldrick and Jared Moffat. And we're here to, t- uh, to talk about an issue that's become a pretty big one in society over the last few years pertaining to marijuana, legalization issues, and some of the ramifications of legalization. Jared, Rebecca, welcome to the Shady Lee Mill. Yeah, thanks Thank for you. having us. Thank you. So, Bob, you're a drug counselor. Yes. And Jared and Rebecca, you guys are advocating for the legalization of marijuana here in Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. This is going to be an interesting conversation. You'd think there'd be great disagreement among you guys, but maybe less than people would think. Well, I think that, uh, you know, this has been a process, but what I've seen in my own practice, obviously there's been um, significant... uh, increases in the use of marijuana statewide, especially amongst kids. And I think that as we get into today's discussion, I think what you're going to see is that all of us share some common interest in terms of reducing individual, the prison population, um, maybe the need for treatment intervention as opposed to a punitive approach. And one of the things that drew me to these guys um, are some of the commonalities that we have in those arenas. Okay, do you support legalization, Bob? It's not as easy as that, and, I, and that's one of the things that I, I get a little bit concerned about. I, I support measures to reduce individuals, you know, the prison population. I support measures that would lead people towards treatment. If it has to become a black and white thing, like for, would I advocate for medical mar- marijuana? In many instances, yes. If it boils down to a yes or a no, do I support legalization? If it's done the right way, um, I could advocate for that, yes. But there'd be, there'd be a number of questions I'd have to look, look at, and I'm sure we'll discuss that down the line. How's the legalization effort going, you guys? What's happening here in Rhode Island with that? Um, yeah, so there's going to be a bill introduced in January uh, in the state house. Um, it's going to be pretty similar to the bill that's been introduced the past uh, three or four years. And uh, I think there's a lot of momentum behind it. You know, I think um, we have medical marijuana. That's, you know, pretty settled. Um, we, we enacted and implemented uh, decriminalization this year, which removes criminal penalties for possession of an ounce or less. And so, you know, a lot of people kind of look at this as the next logical step um, to go for, you know, full legalization. And, you know, what that entails is, is a lot of regulation as well. So what we like to talk about is marijuana regulation um, we don't want to simply just, uh, um, you know, legalize it and just sort of let the free market determine where, you know, where and how it's sold. We want to impose certain regulations so that it's done the right way with the system of licenses, um, taxes, age restrictions, um, restrictions on advertising, that type of thing. Um, so we want to, you know, create a really sensible and responsible model uh, to be the first state on the East Coast to do that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think we're, we have a really good shot of, of passing it this year. And a lot of kind of experts in the field across the nation feel that Rhode Island could be the next state to legalize marijuana. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Rhode Island is ready for this. Um, I think that we've we've been a leader in the Northeast. Um, I mean, the Northeast in general is a leader on um, a lot of progressive issues, and Rhode Island in particular has um, taken the lead on several of them. Uh, you know, we, we did medical marijuana early on. Um, now we just have, you know, Massachusetts coming on board um, recently. So uh, little Rhode Island is, is leading the way, and I really do think that um, we're ready for this. I also think that... Uh, the state in the Northeast um, and on the East Coast who do uh, a full regulation, um, regulatory model first, I think has the most to gain because we get to determine what that regulation is going to look like for the region. So uh, I think that, you know, a lot of eyes are on Rhode Island right now, um, yeah. and there's a lot of hope that we're going to be the, the ones on the East Coast that show how to do this responsibly. And I've been pushing it as an economic development matter. Does anyone know or are there estimates about what we could bring in in tax revenue, what we could bring in in other revenue if we if we taxed and regulated marijuana? Yeah, there's a report that's going to come out um, when the bill is introduced, probably in early January. Um, and that projects of in tax revenue it puts it between 20 million and 70 million which is a huge range and that's because yeah. we don't have very good data about how much people consume yeah. and it's hard to know how much you know how much people are going to buy so that's a big wide range but i would say probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 50 million uh, in tax revenue a year and the other thing to keep in mind about the economic part is that it's going to create a lot of jobs um, and it's not always just the most obvious things like growers and, and retailers, but also things like electricians, truck drivers, um, you know, packaging, things like that. So there are going to be a lot of uh, ancillary businesses that come along with it. And kind of like as Rebecca was mentioning, I think that the advantage of having Rhode Island be the first state in New England is that Rhode Island then is in a position to, to have a lot of control over shaping the, the regional industry. Um, you know, so if we start the businesses here, yeah. we're going to be sending our businesses to Massachusetts rather than vice versa in a few years. So we're trying to get that point across to legislators. And I think that, you know, the economic argument does resonate with them a lot. Bob, as we talk about this on an economic kind of plane, how does that strike you as a therapist? Like, what do you think of that clinically? Yeah, clinically, I have some ambivalent feelings about it. And as, as I stated previously, um, I'm all for reducing the prison population. I'm all for um, pushing people more towards treatment modalities. I also think it's essential that uh, we don't minimize uh, how powerful marijuana is. One of the things I really respect about um, Jared and Rebecca and the movement they're making is there's a misnomer out there is that this is just going to be this willy-nilly approach just to legalize marijuana without addressing some significant social concerns. Yep. Um, everybody understands that people should not just be walking around buying as much weed as they possibly can. Uh, people understand that there are, there are some clinical dynamics to it as well. So where what the concerns that I have, while I stated previously that I would advocate in many ways for legalizing marijuana, I think there are some things that have to be addressed. One, on the financial side, we don't do a really good job of some of our collection mechanisms right now. Some of our court systems in terms of fines and fees are way, way behind in terms of collecting those fees. So if there's a promise out there that money, uh, um, marijuana money, is going to start going towards education, yep. 
our history, we'd have to beef up that system. So that's something that we'd have to look at. In addition to that, I think other things that we really have to look at is um, what constitutes regulation, what kind of laws are going to be in place, and then what are we really going to do in terms of educating young people about viable decisions, viable decision making. Um, like I said before, one of the things I really respect about these guys and some of the people that are crafting these bills is that they're really looking at this seriously. And I think that is something I, re I tremendously respect, the fact that uh, there's a lot of ramifications that, go in that are involved in this, and these are something that they're looking into. So we're talking about, at the, a conservative estimate, tens of millions of dollars in new revenue. What are the drawbacks? Well, the drawbacks is when you look at it, almost, this sounds silly, but from an existential um, issue, why do people smoke marijuana? And I, people can ask the same question about alcohol, but with young kids that I work with today, um, so a relatively common theme is that they smoke to reduce anxiety and stress, yeah. which would lead me to, be, to believe or look at, are there other viable ways of doing that? Another concern that I have, especially with young people, is the minimization of the potency of marijuana, that it's not, har it's not harmful, and we all know that there's more tetrahydrocannabinol in marijuana now than there might have been in, in the years past. And that's THC, that's the, THC. the chemical in pot that gets you high. Yes. So I think that those things have to be looked at as to why people are doing it, getting people to recognize that we're dealing with a drug here. Well, even though it's legalized, I think we need to look at there's a time, there's a place, there's an appropriate use. There are measures in place that ensure that people are not underestimating it and they're making viable choices as to just going out and saying, this is how I party. Yeah. My question would be, if you have to smoke weed or drink with your friends constantly to party, and that's your way of partying, what does that say about your friends and your ability to party? You know what I mean? So I have questions that would almost be existential. What, what's marijuana? Why are you elevating marijuana to a status that it's going to be a stress reducer? It's your only way of uh, socializing and partying. And I think that there are other things that we have to look into in terms of society, societal norms that need to be getting looked at. I, do I think people should go to jail? for it? No, of course not. Do I think okay. that people should be afforded opportunity who have medical issues and concerns? Yes. And do I think that maybe you should be looking at things like ages, like 21, and appropriate yeah. measures yeah. in place to make sure that people are just not getting it. Used. But your issues might be more with kind of how we brand legalized marijuana yeah. or mm -hmm. how we discuss it as a society rather than... Absolutely. On, in general, I'm probably maybe the one of the few drug counselors that would actually advocate for 90% of what these guys are speaking. 90%. So what's that 10%? Clinical. The 10% okay. is the clinical. The 10% the might be the over-evaluation of what marijuana can do for your life. Yeah. But yeah. I do not think that your decision to make those over-evaluations should warrant you being in jail. I don't think it should warrant you being labeled as, as a bad person. I think measures should be put in place to protect you or to educate you or maybe even address maybe some of your clinical issues. But I, don't, I think the way we have it right now, the whole baloney about war on drugs and against people. I've got a whole bunch of young people that I work with. I even have friends who occasionally 
smoke marijuana. I don't view these people as my enemies. And I think that this either or stuff, you know, we have to we have to have something that's a little bit more sophisticated and realistic than this evil, you know, this either or type approach. I like that. Rebecca and Jared, I'm going to get back to you guys in a minute. I just want to delve into this clinical issue a little bit more. Okay. Is, is there's kind of been some debate about this. Is marijuana addictive? There are some researchers that say that there is an addictive dynamic to it. There are others who will actually assert that there is a more like a, uh, an emotional, mental addiction to it. Um, some research indicates that you know, there are withdrawal symptoms and whatnot. Um, so it's not clear, but there are some researchers that say that. Okay. I, think, I think some of the big things to look at clinically about marijuana is that it can stay in your system for up to a month. Okay. Um, I think in addition to that, if you smoke enough of it, you, you know, things like demotivational syndrome, and I don't want to talk about, who's the, what's the movie that guy Spicoli was in way back? Fast Times no, to sure, Raymond High. Right. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and, I think, and I think that those are some of the more egregious portrayals of it. And he's kind of the stereotypical yes. guy that you will become yes. if you smoke yeah. Which pot. is absurd. Which is an absurdity. Okay, cool. Okay. What do you guys think about that stereotype? I also want to ask you guys about the addiction, but since we're talking about Spicoli, what, what, what do you guys think about that stereotype of the classic stoner? I mean, um, I think it's pretty ironic that a lot of people who are against um, the movement for, you know, full legalization and regulation of marijuana say, oh, you know, we're going to have this windfall of advertising once uh, marijuana is legalized. And the, the irony to me is that I, I see a lot of this advertisement in our in our culture right now, um, yeah, through yeah. through films, through mm-hmm. songs. Um, I mean, you turn on the nightly news, and when they talk about, you know, if they talk about prescription drugs, uh, they put you know the little gray box in the corner with the RX symbol. Yeah, you don't see people you know, popping pills or blowing lines or anything like that. But when we talk about marijuana on the news, we show young people smoking marijuana. Yep, and. That, to me, is where the exposure is already happening. We're yeah. already advertising marijuana yeah. through movies, through songs, through our news. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's, that's kind of the, the contradiction is they're f- afraid of this, this um, you know, advertising that will come after. But really, what's, prohibition has created this conversation, and people want to express this, whether that's through art, through news, however. Um, and it, it's already out there. Um, I do think it is hurtful to the movement because it is such an exaggeration yeah. of, you know, what your, quote, stoner looks like. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it's also really hurtful, especially to a lot of people in the medical community um, in particular, because, uh, you know, they're painted as, you know, getting high for medicine when a lot a lot of it gives them, you know, a second life. Right. Um, so... Uh, I think it's hurtful, but um, I think that inevitably when something is prohibited and people want an outlet to talk about it, they will find a way to talk about it. And so you get these characters like Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Spicoli. I, I, actually think, I, I actually think that people that don't support legalization have a problem with Spicoli and not necessarily marijuana. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think it's like enabling that kind of lazy guy that skips class and blah, blah, blah. We don't want to help that guy do anything. 
but I don't hear, Bob, you talking about any of the kind... I mean, you're saying there's debate about whether it's uh, addictive. Yeah. I, and one of the things, and again, one of the things I really appreciate about the approach that these guys are looking at and some of the people that they're affiliated with is we've gone to extremes all the time. And we always talk mm -hmm. about the extreme boundaries of, of each... It's a shame we even refer to it as sides. Yeah. And I think that up until recently... This is a conversation, not just this show, but conversations like this should have been going on many, many years ago. And I was really excited um, when Jared and Rebecca um, helped put on a, a forum that we recently did that brought in some experts from a variety of different perspectives to address a number of facets of the marijuana issue. And like I said before, there's still a number of people who are afraid of it. It's taboo, you know, got the little cross and just, you know, don't go near it. And it's, for some people, it's even tough. It's, it's difficult to even enter into a conversation with. And I think that the very fact that we're talking about this, I think the fact that we're looking at measures of seeing how it fits in our society, I think that we're actually looking at some of the dangers of is healthy dialogue. Right and now. the fact that we've, we've made it a taboo and not talk about it, I think that's actually exacerbated the problem. Who do you guys, as you guys lobby for this, what are some of the impressions you get from Rhode Islanders? Like, what are the range of thoughts on legalization of marijuana that you experience? Um, yeah, I mean, we definitely get a lot of, uh, well, not a lot, but some folks who are unwilling to have the conversation. Um, people who are, just don't want to hear anything about reforming, you know, marijuana laws. They just think, oh, you're, you know, they may have a personal experience with someone they know who had a problem with it, yeah. um, or you know, for whatever reason, they in their minds, you know, it's just not up for discussion. Um, but I, I think that's a pretty uh, small minority of folks. I think uh, there's a large segment of people who look at this very pragmatically and just say, well, this is a this is a really a good government issue, and right now this policy doesn't make sense. Whatever your views about marijuana are, and I think that's kind of what we uh, try to do in our work is. Um, you know, there is this very important conversation, this cultural conversation about, uh, you know, what marijuana is and, and what its relationship in society should be. And I think that's a really, really important conversation. But I think when it comes to the policy, I think sometimes we can just step aside and, and sort of put that issue to the side a little bit and say, but look, what, what makes sense in terms of uh, using our taxpayer dollars wisely? What makes sense in terms of, you know, uh, balancing out the, the, the concerns on, on, on all sides? Um, you know, there are folks who have very legitimate concerns about their children, you know, having easier access. That's a valid concern. Yeah. There are also, you know, concerns from libertarian or more, you know, liberal folks who say, you know, what, what business does the government have telling, you know, a 40-year-old adult that they can't, you know, have a joint in their home? Yep. And I think that crafting good policy is about finding ways to balance and, and try to meet all the objectives that are on the table. And I think that's, you know, that's why we get along with Bob so well, because, we're, we're all willing to engage in that and, and try to find common ground. So in, in kind of the old world, you bought pot on the black market, right? How does it work in the new and improved world? Mm. So under um, a tightly regulated system, it will be available in licensed retail stores where there is a capped number of licensed retail stores that are, you know, licensed by the state. Um, they have to meet, you know, inspection standards and codes and quality control, all of that. This is a lot like liquor stores in Rhode Island. It is, and even to another degree, I mean, it's tougher in some ways. So um, 
all, all marijuana has to be lab tested by an independent lab um, for quality control. Um, all marijuana has to be labeled. What does that mean? Does that happen anywhere, tested so, by an independent lab? Right now, some of the medical um, uh, programs in some states, not all, require uh, testing. So in Rhode Island, we're really fortunate that our medical program requires that our um, compassion centers have all their medicine lab tested. And so that basically means that because um, marijuana is, is a plant and it's prone to all the other problems you can have as a horticulturist, um, an independent lab will inspect it for contaminants like pesticides, chemicals, molds, mites, any of that, you know, fungus, things that people shouldn't be ingesting. Right, right. And um, so right now... I mean, do we do that with food, or are we only doing that with pot? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, hope, I, I hope USDA is doing pretty, a decent job. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we don't do that stuff with food. Correct. And, and so there, there are a lot of... Um, good quality controls that from a public health standpoint just yep. makes sense because right mm -hmm. now a lot of people are buying marijuana from an illegal market they don't know the source some of it's synthetic there have been reports of people having a lot of pretty serious medical conditions um due to synthetic marijuana what's, actually tell me about synthetic marijuana so synthetic marijuana is is what's actually available in a lot of um states over the counter i think what's it, maybe 18 is the age um, but it's it's an herb, and it says you know not for human consumption, but it's okay. for human consumption, and yeah. it mimics it, it mimics the high of marijuana. Um, but you know, of course, it's it's a newly created <laughs> artificial substance, and um, it's causing some health problems for people. Yeah, and so. Uh, when you buy marijuana in the illegal market, you don't know if the dealer has sprayed it with chemicals to make it smell better or look yeah. better or whatever it might be. Um, if it really is marijuana, if it's mm -hmm. laced with another drug. Yeah. And so uh, from a public health standpoint, we believe that it's always better for people to know what they're ingesting in their bodies. Yeah. Um, that, you know, it would be pretty silly if people drank alcohol and didn't know if beer was, you know, 5% or 12% mm -hmm. because that clearly influences how much you will have. Right, right. Um, and same thing. So uh, aside from just quality control, making sure that there are no um, contaminants or chemicals um, added to the marijuana, that it's organic, um, on top of that, all of the marijuana has to be labeled for potency. Okay. Um, so uh, you, you know what you are using. Right, right, so, right. So um, I... I completely understand this concern about high potency marijuana and you know it's it's not your your parents marijuana. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it isn't. Um so people need to know that because clearly keeping it illegal hasn't kept people from using marijuana. And so I think that that's that, that's the first thing we all need to acknowledge is that prohibition has has absolutely failed to keep people from using it from seeking it out yeah. um from buying it it's already happening but it's a lot more dangerous when it's illegal mm -hmm. um and so potency has gone up as it's been illegal i personally and a, a couple of um you know academics who have studied prohibition and illegal markets have even looked at potency as a factor of prohibition. That yep. You get increased potency when things are prohibited because it's easier for smuggling, it's easier sure. for um, concealing something. Um, and so, you know, I kind of wonder, had we, had we not gotten ourselves into this mess, you know, decades ago, 
would we be in a different place? Mm -hmm. I don't know. But I think that now is the time we got to put our foot down and say enough is enough. Let's get some control, label it, and let people know what they're putting in their bodies. You, you know, honestly, I have a friend. He quit smoking pot. He said, that stuff's too strong nowadays. Yep. I can't handle well, it. Well, what's really funny is when uh, Colorado um, last year uh, passed legalization measures, they actually received um, some requests from older people, um, you know, <laughs> 50s, 60-year-olds, um, saying, can you please sell marijuana that's less potent? Yeah. And so there's, I mean, I mean, it's pretty ironic that right. suddenly yeah. it becomes legal and now people are saying, hey, that was a little too strong. Yeah. Can you bring it yeah. down? And they're going to have to cater to that market. So, um, yeah, How's that really one hit you, Bob? What do you think about of that? The potency? Yeah, when you hear about, be, you know, through legalization, people are actually pushing for a safer marijuana. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think that one of the one of the biggest tragedies of the prohibition movement is not only has it created some stereotypes that it's curtailed conversations. And earlier I had told you that these are conversations that should have been going on quite some time ago. And because there hasn't been conversations, there's a lot of myths and misconceptions. There's a lot of Spicoli t stereotypes. Yep. When you begin to legalize things and you begin to look at the processes involved in that, a lot of questions get asked. Like the very fact that we're knocking all this stuff around now, the, you know, the only time these things are ever argued or like somebody, you know, in somebody's home or whatnot, but the fact that these things are now engaged in, in a public forum, where you're looking at potency, when you're looking at collection, you're, when you're looking at a variety of the ramifications that go along with this, again, I think this is a real healthy debate. I'm not so much of a fatalist that everybody's going to smoke pot anyway because I get back to that existential issue of, mm -hmm. of why. So if everybody's going to do certain things, I think, that, I think the big question is, is we've never really had a viable discussion about the role marijuana can play in our lives and does play in our lives without stereotyping it. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is a mature approach, it's a pragmatic approach, and in many ways I think it's going to really enhance our knowledge and awareness of it. And to some extent I actually think, and I'm hoping that it's going to actually make it safer. Okay. Because now people are gaining access to something like Rebecca was just saying. You have no idea what the heck you're getting. You have no idea who the heck you're getting it with, from. And you don't have any understanding of what it's doing to your body mechanization. So it's... Well, exactly. And, um, you know, a couple of the things that we're really excited about, the opportunities that regulation really presents us with, is to have that really honest dialogue to um, make the, the environment in which marijuana is being bought and sold safer. Um, so, you know, we, we, what we see is, you know, the dealer who's selling marijuana has access to a lot of other things as well. Right. Um, you know, so if we're talking about gateways, yeah. that's your point of contact. Right. Um, you know, you don't go into a that's... liquor store and someone also behind the counter selling, you know, methamphetamine. <laughs> but that's happening with marijuana. Yo. And so, Yo. so it's, it's really crazy that we're saying, you know, let's keep it illegal. Let's, you know, keep it underground. Underground is safer. And my response is, if it truly is as dangerous as some people believe it is, if it really is as dangerous, then why would you relegate all control 
to criminals. Right. That, yeah. to me, doesn't really make sense. It's like saying, you know, guns are so deadly, let's have absolutely no regulations. Right, right. And, <laughs> but Bob, what do, you, what do you think of the idea of marijuana being a gateway drug, or anything as a gateway drug? I'm guessing this kind of is going to speak to your belief in it being an existential issue. Yeah, I think, I don't want to minimize the fact that some individuals who begin doing harder drugs like heroin did not start off smoking cigarettes and then go up a line of progression. You know, the, certainly there's, there's some truth to that. Okay. However, um, I know a bunch of people who smoke marijuana who've never progressed past that point. Right. So I think there's a big difference between a line of progression for people who go all the way up to something harder and saying that everyone that smoked marijuana is going to go go to that level. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that, that that's kind of a scare tactic. And tragically, mm. um, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, scare tactics don't really work because mm -hmm. once they're proven to be fallacies, <coughs> and if that's the best game you've got, then you've got nothing to back it up. As somebody who's done this for like 33, 34 years, I want to be able to tell some kid, I want to be able to tell some adult what the real facts are as opposed to saying a reefer madness type right. uh, discussion with them because I don't have a game, I'm just going to try to scare them from using it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that that doesn't work. So, so my big thing to get to your question about whether or not it's a gateway, maybe for some people, maybe it's an introduction to a certain culture, a certain lifestyle, a certain mindset, but I certainly don't believe that everybody who smokes marijuana is going to end up injecting themselves with needles or snorting sort of cocaine. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I just comment. So I, I think that um, the idea that marijuana is a gateway comes back to the point Rebecca was making that the person right now under in an illegal market, the person that you buy marijuana from is the same person who's probably going to sell other illegal drugs. Okay. And so I think um, a lot of there, there are a lot of associations that people uh, project onto marijuana users and, and marijuana itself because of its illegality, because it's in the legal market. I mean, it's pretty simple to disprove the gateway theory as a whole because you can simply look at, well, about half the country, half, half the you know, adult population in the country has used marijuana or tried marijuana at some point, and a very, very, very small percentage of those people uh, ever go on to use um, heroin or, or cocaine or any other uh, illegal or serious drugs. And so that's, you know, that's the real, that sort of disproves the whole idea. I mean, when people say, oh, well, but all the people who use heroin, cocaine, you know, they started with marijuana. Well... I like to say, okay, so would, would you take someone who's a biker, you know, has a Harley Davidson, would you say, oh, well, the tricycle was a, a gateway to, to, <laughs> right, to right, the motorcycle? Right, right. Well, no, because a lot of people were riding tricycles and didn't go on to, to, the, to the motorcycle. So that's kind of the same logic that's at play here. I like that logic, it, 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 it is a fear tactic, and I do, I do think it backfires. I mean, I think that, um, unfortunately, a lot of young people – um, who, you know, see that marijuana is Schedule 1, the same as heroin, uh, or sorry, uh, yeah, the same as same heroin. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and they see that and they, you know, they know from their own experience that, well, that's kind of ludicrous to say that, you know, these two drugs are on the same level. I think it takes a lot of credibility away from, from what authority figures say about drugs, and I think that's really unfortunate because I think, it, again, impedes that honest conversation that, that we need to be having. Do, do we still hear that a lot about marijuana being a gateway drug? Yeah, I do. It comes yeah, up. Yeah. It, it, it comes up a lot. I've seen, um, unfortunately, I've been at, at 
legislative briefings where some people have brought in posters of, you know, a morgue, bo- like a body in a morgue, and, you know, yeah. marijuana will right. and lead you here. Um, that, that happened 2013, Rhode Island. Yeah. Um, and I think it was a, a poster campaign that went on in high school. Um, and so, Rebecca, yeah. Rebecca, do you know what high school? I don't know what high school. Ooh, I was going to guess. It would be good. <laughs> Uh, I know it wasn't yours. Yeah. But it was, um, and I, 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 kind of what Jared said, I'd like to echo that because I, I mean, growing up, I saw this as a, a really serious problem um, that losing that credibility when you're talking to kids is everything. I mean, we have to treat young people as, as intelligent beings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they can think for themselves. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when we... Uh, when almost half of high schoolers, um, is it almost half have tried? Mm-hmm. Almost half of high schoolers, high school seniors, high yeah. school seniors have have tried marijuana at some point. Um, that means that one in two high school seniors has either experienced marijuana firsthand and saw and has seen firsthand. Yep. I didn't yep. die. Yeah. Or a friend who is like has likely observed a friend using marijuana. When you have one and two using, yeah, that's a pretty high percentage. So about half of high schoolers have you uh, of high school seniors have used, and then their friends clearly have seen someone use. And so that myth of you know you're gonna die, it's gonna you know drive you crazy, insane, um, gets disproven right there in that experience. Yeah. Um, and then if you have a an educator, a teacher, uh, a parent tell a young person, um, well, you know, ecstasy does the same thing or heroin does the same thing, you know, heroin and marijuana scheduled the same mm-hmm. way. Um, in a young person's mind, that's very confusing because suddenly yeah. you say, well, I tried marijuana and what you told me would happen didn't happen. Yeah. So maybe they're also lying to me about the dangers of ecstasy. Yeah. So maybe I'll try ecstasy as well. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, there are very real reasons not to, you know, go use heroin. There are very valid reasons. Yeah. And that's why I, I think it was quite, uh, you know, we, we watched a news clip the other night um, and some a news anchor said, well, if heroin was legalized tomorrow, I wouldn't go use it. And it's, you know, this idea that, like there are very real reasons why people aren't using heroin right. at the yeah. same rates that they're using marijuana. And yeah. so, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it, it, we lose a lot of trust and that's really unfortunate. Well, can I just piggyback on that real quick? So Please, yeah. one of the uh, arguments we hear all the time from people who oppose legalization is, um, you know, they, they, they have gr- these graphs that show as perception of risk going down among young people, there's an inverse increase in use. Um, and, you know, I think, okay, there, there's some logic to that, right? As, as you think that something is less harmful, you may be more inclined to try it out. Sure. But I think that, you're lo- I think that those folks who make that argument are kind of looking at the problem the wrong way because it, that would suggest then that the solution is to scare kids, is to let's raise the perception of risk right and that's going to drive use down. Um, well, I don't think that's the way to go because we did that for a long time in the 80s and, and in the 90s. And that in the 90s is actually when we saw one of the greatest increases in, in youth marijuana use. Um, and I think it is. It comes back to this credibility thing. So I think what's more, probably a better strategy is to use, you know, young people's actual experiences. You know, they've probably seen someone who, you know, maybe tried marijuana or got into marijuana and maybe they quit the sports team or, you know, they, yeah. um, you know, yeah. got less interested in applying to college or something like that. And that, those are real things that, you know, I think young people can relate to. So I think it's much more 
uh, a better strategy to, to use those real experiences and say, well, hey, you know, you, you want the best for your life and, and you know, marijuana is not necessarily a part of that. It's not going to kill you. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's, you know, rat poison, but, you know, it, it, can, it can lead you the wrong way. And I think that that type of conversation does have a lot more success when, with parents who, who have that conversation. I think that that's, instead of focusing on perception of risk, I think we need to say, well, how can we, you know, convince kids that this isn't in their best interest? How can we, you know, convince them to, okay, if you're going to try it, just wait, you know, make sure that your brain's fully developed, that type of thing, and not try to use these scare tactics. Bob, that's your job. That's what you do every day, right? Bob, what, what I try to do is, I, I, A, I try not to scare them. Um, and I also think that if you're going to have any credibility with them, especially teenagers, because there's a difference between educating. You can get a bunch of little kids in a school to go just say no. Because just the way they are, they follow the rules. It's the difference between concrete operations and formal operations and all that Piaget stuff. But when kids, once they hit their early adolescence, they're challenging the world. They're, they're becoming more peer-centric. They're beginning to engage in the world a little bit more. And when I, when I say experimentation is a natural part of growth, you want them to fly out of the nest. And if you... And if you don't engage with them and give them opportunities to challenge the world, give them viable yeah. information, treat them as intelligent beings, they're going to view you as old-fashioned. They're going to rebel against that as a little bit. So what we try to do in East Greenwich is create opportunities where kids can enter into dialogues. They're in safe environments where you're giving them a chance to be around other peers who are making healthy decisions. Or, and I, and I tell people all the time, church is for the sinners. So yeah. if I'm running a group in an organization and a kid has had a beer one day or a kid has smoked a joint someday, don't kick them out of the damn group. It's a, it's a yeah. you know, it, if we're all going to be judged, you know, in, like in church, if everybody's going to be judged as sinners, nobody'd be in a damn church. Yeah. So yeah. I think you have to look at adolescence as a time of, adolescence as a time of experimentation, as a time of exploring, as a time of natural rebellion and I think it's it's scary for them, and you have to help them navigate through that. And to just say, don't do this, no, you can't do that, you're wrong, castigate and punish them, you're, not, you're missing out at a tre tremendous educational opportunity. You're missing out at a, an opportunity to engage with somebody who has enormous leadership potential, learning potential, and you're going to draw the line in the sand at them smoking a joint. Of course I don't want them smoking joints. Of course I don't want them drinking. But... Those are learning opportunities. Those are chances to engage with people and to see um, what it means to them, why they feel they have to do it. It could be as simple as, I tried it because I heard it was good. Now, this is a cool point. I bet you guys will agree with that. I bet you guys don't want that high school junior smoking that joint either. Mm. Definitely. No, That's actually not. what, um, I mean, you, we can talk about you know tax revenue. We can talk about... Um, you know, prison incarceration, but um, the organization we formed was really because um, as people who have recently, you know, seen high school, college, and, you know, young adulthood, um, we knew that the drug war and, you know, the, the prohibition of marijuana, people justify it because they say we need to protect young people. And as young people, we knew that that wasn't true, that actually, um, you know, marijuana prohibition was really harming a lot of our friends, um, whether that was through punitive approaches like, uh, you know, didn't, criminal record that yep. they now can no longer apply for federal financial aid, um, or, you know, 
something with leading on to, uh, you know, some type of drug gang and violence. Um, we just knew that that couldn't, that couldn't, that narrative could no longer be true, um, and that it had to be challenged because it wasn't true. It was really putting um, a lot of our peers at risk. And so, uh, yeah, that's precisely why we... Well, I think, I mean, if you look at tobacco, right, like we have drastically reduced the number of young people who uh, are using, you know, smoking cigarettes mm -hmm. to the point where now more kids are using marijuana than tobacco, uh, mm -hmm. which is shocking. It's the first time it's ever happened. Um, but the success that we've had with tobacco... Um, you know, if you read like the 2012 Surgeon General's report that talked a little bit about this, you know, the, the reason they say we've achieved the success is because of uh, regulatory tools, price controls, and education. Um, and so those things are not, you know, mutually exclusive with having a legal product that adults can buy. Yep. So I think that the success we've had with tobacco proves that, you know, the, the, the opposing argument to legalization of, oh, this is going to drive up, you know, use among kids and it's just going to be terrible. I think it's totally disproven by what we've seen with tobacco. If we have smart regulations, if we have controls, if we say, you know, these are the true harms of using it, um, then I think that's how we can reduce use. And I think, um, you know, one of the things I try to tell, you know, people who are vehemently opposed is like, if you just, you know, one of the things that you, you reason you hear so much about marijuana and, and how it's, you know, safe and all this stuff is because you have prohibited it from, from adults who are, you know, frankly, pretty pissed off that they, you know, that you're yeah. telling them what they can and can't do. And yeah. so they make a big stink about it. They go out and, you know, into the state house on TV and they shout and scream about it. Well, if you legalize and regulate it, that'll shut them up, you know? <laughs> so I try to say, like, look, you know, uh, I understand that you don't want these people running around promoting marijuana, but part of the reason they're doing that is because they feel right. attacked. They feel like they're defending, you know, they need to defend themselves. And if you stop attacking them, then they maybe will be quieter. And I think that, you know, in the Netherlands, they've, you know, had since the 70s, these uh, coffee shops. Yeah. Um, and they have half the usage rates among teens that we have here in the United States. And one of the, the there's a famous quote from one of the ministers who oversees the, the cannabis regulations over there. And he said, well, you know, one of the good things that we did here is we made pot boring. You know, we took away this forbidden fruit aspect of it. Um, and that made it a lot less appealing, I think. Um, and so I think that's something we should, you know, take seriously here. Let's try and do this, you guys. Let's continue this conversation once the session starts. And when we do, we'll try and have one of those scared parents and someone from law enforcement join us. And That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So Tremendous. Rebecca, Jared, thanks for joining us on Mulling It Over. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. Till next time. Till next time. <laughs>